Bullshit is everywhere. Bullshit. Bullshit is rampant. Total fucking bullshit. B bullshit. This makes no fucking sense. I mean, this is bullshit. Fuck. Bullshit is bullshit. I want you to get up right now and go to the window, open it, and stick your head out and yell. Welcome back to the Panama Papers, uh, episode 5.2. Yes. Anyone sent you a yacht since our last episode, Ray? Uh, Keys to a yacht? Sadly, no. So, but hopefully this week it's going to happen. Or just a picture of one. Just send me a picture of one. Let's start small and we'll work up from there. Come on. So after they'd been receiving these documents, these Mossack Fonseca documents from their anonymous source for kind of like a year, mm -hmm. the first news stories were published by SZ on the April uh, the 3rd, uh, 2016. That's right. when the Panama Papers stories right. broke. Yeah. But by the time they broke, SZ had a massive team of people working on it with them. It was well beyond their abilities <laughs> to sort through themselves. Yes. And they were collaborating primarily with the International Consortium of Investigative Journalists, Ooh. ICIJ, right. sort of an international club of inter investigative journalists that you can only join by... Invitation. Ooh, fancy. the boss right. of ICIJ is an Aussie, Gerard oh, Ryle. Right. So you know it can be trusted when an Aussie's at the helm. <laughs> it's gonna be okay. Yeah, like Rupert Murdoch, <laughs> uh, Julian Assange, oh. myself. Actually, he was born born in London to Irish parents, but. Uh, grew up in Australia. Well, actually, no. He he moved here when he was in his twenties. So really, he's Irish. But then he uh, he was a journalist here for twenty years, and then uh, was appointed the director of the ICIJ, ICIJ in based in Washington. Yeah. In twenty eleven. Right. Uh, he was an investigative journalist here. Um, so. Uh, he uh, put together a team of about 400 journalists from over 80 countries that were working their way through the Panama Papers. Yeah. Um, about four and a four. At this stage, I think they had about 4.8 million leaked files, God. three million database entries, 2.2 million PDFs, 1.2 million images, 320,000 text files, and thousands of other files in other formats. And it was still, uh, the, the source was a secret. But just searching through, I, I think they ended up with like several terabytes of mm -hmm. data. Mm -hmm. Like just being able to search through that was crashing the computers. They kept, all these journalists kept having to get bigger and bigger wow. computers to be able to um, sort through all of this stuff. 
just with you know without it taking forever to you know search the, the, the this number of entries. Yeah. Um, they had to buy special software. They had to get bigger and bigger computers with massive amounts of RAM. Yeah, most journalists' computers are shitty. Right. Uh, like pati- particularly in yeah, particularly in <laughs> Germany, apparently. Right. Anyway, um, Edward Snowden. Described the release on a Twitter message as the biggest leak in the history of data journalism, and I think it still is today. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and just uh, did you read about Jared Ryle, the ICIJ director, that when he came to that organization, he already had experience with the shell companies, and I thought that was interesting. Back in 2011, when he became director, he brought with him 260 gigabytes of information about two firms, one called Portcullis Trustnet and the other one Commonwealth Trust Limited. So basically, when you see the word trust in the title, you know not to. But the point is, um, <laughs> he, he uh, like like he's going to do for these guys. He brought in, brings in a whole bunch of reporters, people from different countries. And in April of 2013, when they released their information, they call that offshore secrets, uh, articles coming from 100 journalists, 50 countries all over the world. And so they're going to do that same thing with the Panama Papers. But like you said, it's much, much, much larger than that. And the one thing I don't think I appreciated was when these two German reporters are going through all this information, doing the best they can, they can't just stop. And I guess this was a level of paranoia that I did not appreciate. They can't just stop themselves putting out articles like they normally do. They still have to put something out because someone might notice that these two reporters from this uh, from this paper, SZ, aren't putting out articles anymore. Now, again, let's be honest, no one would probably notice, but you have to be careful because you're dealing with all the clients of MOSFAM, which, as we're going to find out, are some pretty shady characters. So they still had to generate articles every once in a while so people would know, but they spent, as far as I can tell, every moment they could get away from that and their families going over these, you know, to the best of their ability, 11.5 million documents, but they had to keep up appearances. I, and I didn't think about that at first, but I guess you do have to be careful when you have a law firm like this that might eventually suspect you of something. Mm. Yeah, now, at the time when these leaks started to come out um, and they were, were um, related to Mossack von Secker, mm-hmm. Um, obviously, you know, the, the, the stories didn't immediately say, hey, we've got a source who's leaking shit from Mossack for a second. They just, stared, they just started digging into some stories that were linked back to them. Uh, Mosfon publicly claimed at the time that they and all of their clients were above board. Right. None of their corporations were being used for illegal purposes, uh, that this was all lies and slander. And, uh, you know, nothing to see here, move along, <laughs> as uh, they always say. Right. Uh, that, was their, that was their initial response. What? what are you, you're crazy. What are you talking about? <laughs> so that leads us to one of the first stories that the journalists picked up and, and ran with because it was based in Germany, the story of uh, Hans Joachim Kohlsdorf <laughs> and... Wow. Siemens. Yeah. So Ray, when, over to you. Oh, thank you, sir. So when they started going through some of these leaked documents, they noticed that on November 19th, 2013, and again, and again, just to give you an idea 
of the amounts that we're talking about, because I know this stuff can get pretty make you know make your eyes uh, glaze. But they noticed in 2013 that 500 million dollars in gold was paid into a, an account of one Hans Joachim K at the Societe Generale Bahamas, and he was a Siemens manager, you know, in Germany, which is an industrial manufacturing company, and he used to be a CEO in Colombia and Mexico. Now, like you were saying, I think in the previous show. Like most international companies, and is this illegal? Yes, but it's done so commonly that I don't think anybody bets an eye. Siemens had a slush fund set up in South America so they could reward people, pay them off or whatever who helped their business because that's what you do. You know, you, you beat out the other companies to get contracts and you do it with bribes or whatever you want to call that. But what makes this weird is that the slush fund that they had set up in South America was discovered back in 2007, 2008. And there's still lawsuits pending. So they're like, how is this still going on? How is there a transaction in 2013 for $500 million in gold, no less? So they're trying to figure this out. So when Hans K is being questioned, one of the bribery firms, one of the firms that he used to bribe people is called Casa Grande Development. And when they do their search through the uh, leaked records that they have so far, they find that this company is listed in Panama's public database of companies and Mossbaum is listed as its registered agent. But technically, unless you had the inside paperwork, there is no connection between Siemens, the company, HK himself, and, and, and Casse Grande Developments, because like you were saying earlier, Casse Grande's develop, uh, Developments directors were three women who sat around and signed papers all day. Who were these three women? They either directly or indirectly worked for Moss Farm. Maybe they were just poor people hired. Maybe they were lowly people at the company. But they just sat there and they just signed these um, forms, whatever was put in front of them. And these ladies with their signature, or whoever controlled their signatures, could, through this company, open up accounts, buy something in the company's name. And, as, and unless you knew the inside scoop, this company has no connection whatsoever to Hans K and Siemens. They're completely left out of it. But again, $500 million in gold has been just sent to this guy. So, um, and, and to add, and you were talking about buffers earlier on. Another buffer to this is that the real owner gives his or her lawyer or whoever the power of attorney, but that power of attorney is a secret. So only the bank, the lady signing, and in this case, Mossbaum knows about this power of attorney. So strictly speaking, this secret power of the attorney is legal. It's no big deal unless you zoom out and look at the and look at the, the the larger picture. But because these guys have got this leaked documents, they can put everything together. And for, and don't get me wrong, it's a big pain in the butt to go through all these documents even when they have them and find out that this is the guy that truly owns this. Why is he getting $500 million in gold? I mean, does he need that much as a slush fund? There's clearly more to this than what meets the eye. Right, well, I, you know, I think a slush fund is a slush fund, yeah. I mean, they, they had governments and people to uh, buy off in Latin America. Uh, Hans was, for years, he was the CEO of Siemens in Latin America, based in Mexico City. Mm-hmm. And that's, I think that the the interesting thing about this is that's the size of the slush funds that we're talking about here. Half I, a billion dollars I think is a too slush small. fund. I think too small. I, I drive a 2011 Kia Forte that's broken right now. I think too small. And that was just for a week. That was only going to get him for a week. <laughs> no, 
No, but slush funds. Yeah. Like the, so the idea here is that it was basically a bribery fund that Siemens could use to win business in Latin America um, and keep it off the books right. in uh, Germany. So wow. regulators and shareholders, uh, etc., the media, for, for as far as they could tell, any business that Siemens in Latin America was winning, they were winning legitimately. It was, yeah. oh, it's all good. You know, look <laughs> at them. Great. Our products must they, be awesome. Right. People can't wait to buy our products. <laughs> our products fucking rock. Quality yeah, it's work. not hard to sell your products when you're paying $500 million in bribes to people <laughs> to get them to buy yeah. your products. Good point. This is how companies uh, do it, right? Um, and how you crush the competition because – Okay, this is how capitalism is bullshit, right? You know, the, one of the mantras you'll hear from capitalists is, uh, mm. oh, you know, it encourages competition. Right. The Healthy. people with the best, yeah. the people with the best products who innovate, yeah, win out, win. Yeah. It's the free market. Well, if I'm Siemens and my product is a bit shitty, and, <laughs> and I know it is, Ra- Rain Camink come along. Two plucky young kids in their garage, <laughs> and they invent a, a better product. Right, Lower and we price. do everything right. Yeah. You know, Tony backs us with some venture capital. <laughs> We've got an operation set up. You know, yeah. we kickstarter it. It's being manufactured out of China. The pro- <laughs> the product is better. Right. The price is better. Yeah. The service is service. better. We've done everything right. I can Post service. sale service. Right. Fucking every, you'll suck their dick if they buy. Every person who buys a copy of this, you will literally drop to your knee. Well, you don't have to drop to your I'm knees because you can stand fully there. high. Exactly. Suck their dicks. <laughs> or lick their clit if it's a female buyer. Um, Either one. We're doing everything right. <laughs> Siemens comes along and goes, well, I tell you what, buy our product instead and we'll pay you $500 million. The, the, the person's going to go, all right, well, we'll buy your product then. So but, but, it, yeah. it, it's, not, it's not a free market. Right. It's not fair. fair if you have one company that has been established for 100 years and has a shit ton of money and then that yeah. bribery enables them to make more money. Yeah. I mean, okay, they may lose money on that particular deal, but then they go, well, look, uh, the government of Mexico just bought our products. Yeah, you, uh, you should buy it, Colombia yeah. or fucking Brazil or whoever. Yeah. And the Brazilian government go, well, yeah, they bought it, so it must be good, right? Passed all of their right. tests, and passed their benchmarks. Call, call, um, call Miguel. He'll tell you. And, of course, he's the one who got the $500 million. He's going, yeah, you yeah. should definitely buy it. Fucking awesome. Oh, fucking great. Oh. Ray? Oh, you got to yeah. meet Ray. <laughs> yeah. He'll light you up. He'll, he'll put a Just smile bring, on your face. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tell Ray he's going to win the business. <laughs> I have feelings. Ask him to take his false teeth out first and then. Extra 20. It's an extra 20 bucks. <laughs> well, you get the back door for an extra 20 bucks. Um, back door Ray. Um, yeah. So that's, so that's the first interesting thing about this is just, uh, just to, to point out that this is how big businesses do it. Right. It's, everyone talks about German engineering and this and that and the German other. Money. Yeah. What about German bribery? Yeah. There's the Marshall Plan in action for you. <laughs> 
50 years later, 70 years later, Marshall Plan went to building up German companies like Siemens um, so they could bribe uh, (laughs) their way into markets. But the second point about this, before we move on, the second thing I want to point out is, as you said... Some of the you know these dodgy dealings had already been uncovered yeah. by German authorities um, years before, but they had not uncovered the shell companies ah. in Panama because they can't uh, and the slush ones because yes they were until the leak happened. Right. Even German investigators who were investigating Siemens. For doing for for bribery and fraud and corruption, yeah, hadn't uncovered this. That's how well hidden it was. And, and I just have to add, and I don't know if this is a fact or not, but another thing: if you have five hundred million dollars in a slush fund, they could have just walked up to us and said, "We'd like to buy your company. You keep working, you keep doing your everything. We'll just own it." Fuck. I mean, you, there's 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 different ways to take out your competitors. Sometimes you can just buy them out, keep them going, and then suddenly, you know, you own that and it's all good. So uh, when, when you have money, you have options, and that's exactly what Siemens was doing. And that's the classic way. I've seen this in, in real life in, mm-hmm. in during the dot-com period, in particular in the last 20-odd years, the way that established players in Australia and in the US, I've seen it, would shut down innovative startups ah. is they come along and they tried to do this to me. Um, I've told this story before, but when I started TPM, but they come along and they say, listen, um, you know, we'll, we'll invest or buy you out. Um, they throw a lot of cash at you. Um, and initially, either way, if they're investing or they're buying you out, they say the same thing. Love what you're doing. Yeah. Love you. Yeah. Love the vision. Innovate. Yeah, baby, innovation. <laughs> oh, we get hard for innovation. Oh, you should see it down there. It's like a child's arm in my pants. <laughs> so hard. It's fantastic. We love it. Oh. Well, you know, you know, you don't mind the fact that we might, you know, be threatening your established uh, revenues. No, no. revenue schmevenue. We just love. Partners. We love innovation. Yeah. It's great. It's fair. Keep it going. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Thanks. Great. Here's some money. And so um, then, if, if they just invest in you, what they'll do is they'll give you cash. Here's a million dollars. Spend it as quickly as you possibly can. Mm-hmm. Uh, why? Well, no, nah, because because there's more. There's always more. Grow yeah. fast, grow hard, go yeah. grow big, son. So you you, you go and you you, you hire a hundred people, hire oh. more people, bigger offices, get bigger offices, yeah. flashier offices, buy yourself a Porsche, Ballet fuck parking. the Porsche, yeah. get a Lamborghini. You need two Lamborghinis. <laughs> hire five hundred people. Get them the best equipment. Right. Um, by the way, buy the best equipment from this other company that we also have an investment in. Oh, um, good point. And then, so you spend the million dollars, and then you go back to them. And you go, okay, well, we've spent that. We need more. And they go, oh, what? You spent that money? Oh, shit! Times are tough. Show me, yeah. show me your revenue. Well, we don't have any. Oh, oh, I don't know. I don't know, man. No, yeah. I don't think. I don't think we can give you any more money under those circumstances. Very- but you told me to spend it. Well, yeah, but you didn't have but- to. Yeah, yeah, we told you that, but we thought you would do a better job. Oh, shit. Right. Well, listen, we can give you $1,000, uh, but you have to resign as CEO and right. give us control of the company. God. And it's the same thing if, you're, if, you, if they buy you outright. Basically, yeah. they end up... 
they end up firing the owners uh, and the founders and saying, oh, we've absorbed uh, Barry and Stan Inc. into our operations. Right. And they put out a press release saying, oh, the founders are leaving, but they're so excited about what this means for the future of the company. (laughs) And basically it just nine times out of ten, the original team will quit, um, go and do something else, and it disappears. Yeah. That's how capitalism crushes innovation despite... What you hear, uh, and look, every now and again, you get you get an eBay that survives, or you, you get a PayPal, or you get an Amazon, or you know. But for every Amazon out there, there's nine hundred and ninety nine uh, pets dot com, right. or, or you know, I could rattle off a ton of Australian <laughs> names that you'll have never heard of. Um, friends of mine that went from Australia to San Francisco with their startups because they were promised the world and I, ended up yeah. getting crushed. In, in that vein, if there's any massive podcasts out there that want to buy us out, I don't know about you, Cam, <laughs> but I'm fucking ready. Where do I sign? Where do I sign? Uh, yeah. anyway. You don't sign because uh, I own your ass. Uh, I sign. I own you. That's true. Except for your World War II. It's kind of sexy. Profit. Though. Making machine. Sexy. I know you love it. Yeah, yeah. kind of sexy. Okay, can I talk about Sergey? Mm-hmm. I know you love to talk about Russians. Oh, I do. Yeah. Especially if I get to do the accent, Hodka. <laughs> There's a story uh, that came out. One of the other early stories that was leaked to SZ. There was this guy. This name that kept turning up um, in a lot of tr- documents, a lot of transactions with a lot of money. His name was Sergei Roldugin. So they were like, I wonder who that is. And they just Googled him. Turns out he's a Russian virtuo- virtuoso cellist. Oh, okay. Um, do you want to, do you want to hear him? Do you want to hear him play cello? Sure. He's doing a bit of a duet with a violin here. Oh, that's sweet. Very lovely. He's playing very, very high up on his A string here. So that's him playing cello or little orchestra, uh, two thousand and ten, Brahms. Excuse me, teacher. Why does a cellist need a shell company? Oh well, you know he's he's a, he's a you know he's a complex man, okay. Sergey. All right. Um, Sorry. Yeah, he's probably I'd say he's in his sixties. Right. Um, hundreds, no, in fact, billions of dollars. <laughs> I got to take up the of cello. transactions going right. through companies uh, uh, owned. Uh, by Sergey in the Panama Papers. They're like, oh, he's doing very well, but they're Googling him. <laughs> Turns out not only is Sergey Roldugin a virtuoso cellist, he's also Vladimir Putin's best friend. <laughs> Shit. What he, a uh, he, they go way back. He introduced uh, Putin to Putin's wife, oh, Ludmilla. Wow. Right. Uh, Roldugan's brother, Yevgeny, was uh, at the KGB training school with Putin. They've known each other since the 70s, back wow. when they were living in St. Petersburg. 
Wow. And, yeah, Roald Dugan turned up in hundreds of MOSFON documents associated with billions of dollars of transactions. For example, he's a a significant shareholder in Rossia Bank. Mm -hmm. Now, Rossia Bank was set up at the collapse of the Soviet Union, uh, 1990, its original major shareholders were members of the Communist Party and organised crime figures. Sure. Um, now it's owned mostly by friends of Vladimir Putin, <laughs> not by Putin himself. No. no just no. by friends of Vladimir yeah. Putin, I colleagues. I don't go near the money. No. No, no, no. no. Yeah. This would not be. This would not be uh, morally acceptable <laughs> to, for me to own. A bank that gets lots of state business right. that I move through bank. Right. Friend, cellist, friend, fine. No problem. <laughs> Me, no. So the suggestion from the journalist at SZ uh, is that Roald Dugan is a front for uh. Putin's ownership in that and many other companies. Now, they, they can't prove that. No. They, they, came, they came up with no evidence, even in the Mosfond documents, that Roald Dugan was a front for Vladimir Putin. Right. But the the assumption is, yeah. the suggestion or assumption is, the allegation is that uh, there's no reason why a cellist should be moving billions of dollars around. <laughs> uh, now, a few months also? ago... Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, you know, he, he, <laughs> he plays a Stradivarius cellist. Right. He's, but, you know... Yeah. Well, let me ask another. Now, let me ask another question before you go on, and, and, and not that this hmm. proves anything, but who else would have the chutzpah to use the name of Putin's best friend to illegally, as far as we know, illegally move around billions of dollars? It's just one of those coincidences that makes you go, "Hmm." That's all. Hmm. Yeah. Well, I mean, what are you going to do about it? I mean, this guy and this guy apparently, like, if you if you. Look up interviews of Sergey. He's like, yeah, I'm his best friend. Yeah, we're tight, yeah. tight, tight like a tiger. <laughs> we're tight. Uh, he's very open about it. Oh, yeah. love lad. He's yeah. the best. Yeah. Now, um, <clears throat> a few months ago, Roald Dugan was implicated in a massive money laundering scheme involving Russia's largest investment bank, Troika Dialogue. Uh oh. The money laundering scheme was worth about nine billion U.S. dollars. Troika was set up by an American investment sure. banker, Peter Derby. Um, it's now actually known as Schwerbank CIB, but because it uh, through acquisitions and name changes and that kind of stuff. But Roald Dugan allegedly received sixty nine million dollars as his payment for being involved in all of this money laundering. Um, the, it was known as the uh, the scheme, this money laundering scheme was known as the Troika Laundromat, <laughs> ran from 2006 to 2013. Right. About 75 interconnected offshore companies, all under the direction of Troika Dialogue, the Russian investment bank. Wow. Uh, all managed by stand-ins, cutouts, nominees, including... A lot of ethnic Armenians living in Moscow who were the, you know, the fake owners signing right. contracts. Um, one of the owners of one of these companies moving billions of dollars around was a construction worker. Another was a beauty <laughs> salon owner. Sure. A very successful um, one. Yeah. And, but here's the interesting thing. 
the laundromat was using these offshore companies to move billions of dollars of private wealth from Russia to the West. Ooh. Okay. Now, where it all ended up, uh, who knows? Yeah. You know, how much of, uh, how many American companies are owned, uh, American media companies? Yeah. <laughs> how many... Yeah. Investments in uh, political uh, action committees or investments in political campaigns mm. going from Russian uh, oligarchs through mm-hmm. a network of hidden shell companies into the U.S., who knows? Yeah. If, um, if I could just give that some context, because this I looked I looked this up. I just found this fascinating. So, as far as the Troika network, about four point six billion dollars or three point five billion pounds was paid into this network, and a similar sum was taken out. So that makes sense. So far, so good. You take in this much, you take out roughly the same. That's that's okay. However. The value of the transactions in between the Troika managed companies was an estimated $8.8 billion, um, so roughly double of what originally went in. So this suggests that the money was spun around a couple of times through a number of cycles before it was exiting. So again, some of the money went in was probably legal. A lot of it was probably not, but it doesn't matter. By the time you spin it several times through several of these companies, sometimes through different banks owned by the same company or working with the same company, it doesn't matter. When it comes out, there is no way you are going to be able to find out where that money originated from. And that's the whole point. And you've moved it somewhere else away from Russia. You've moved it to the West. And like you said, it's hidden behind shell companies. It could be it could be buying up baseball teams for all we know. We have no idea where this money's at now. Yeah, and I, I this I, I had never understood um, how this worked before. And mm-hmm. so for pe- other people who don't understand it, let me do my best job explaining it. When the, you, you talk about washing dirty money, mm-hmm. um, you go, oh, yeah, they had to wash it. You know, it, it, What does that mean? Well, think about a washing machine. <clears throat> That's why this is called a laundromat. Mm-hmm. You, imagine you, you, you're putting money into a washing machine and it's spinning around and around and around and around and around. That's exactly what these sorts of systems do. They move the money around so many times <laughs> yeah. that y- y- it's impossible to trace where it come from. So let me imagine that you've got a whole series of fake companies with fake directors right. selling fake products. Yeah. No, okay. So company A might pay company B for a contract buying or selling physical goods. Mm-hmm. And these things can be anything, food, yeah. television Widgets. sets, sanitary products, software, intellectual yeah. property, you name it. Right. But there are no real goods changing hands. Yeah. The, con- the, the contracts are fake. The companies are fake. Fake contracts, fake companies, fake transactions, fake people. It's no just staff. a paperwork trail. Exactly. No staff, no offices to put them in, <laughs> no visible presence. Uh, a lot of them based in, you know, these these places like Panama or Bermuda and Cayman Islands, right. British Virgin Islands, where they're hidden by law from prying eyes. Yeah. Contracts signed by cutouts 
you know, people that that get paid a little bit of money to just sign paperwork for a living. Right. Um, I'll do it. And so if anyone tries to figure out where all this money came from, it's been washed. It's impossible. You cannot trace the paper trail of the money. Wow. You go, okay, well, uh, Ray, you got a, you've got a million dollars in your bank account. Where mm-hmm. did it come from? Well, uh, it was a gift given to me by Barry and Stanick. Oh, where's right. Barry and Stanick? Oh, they've gone out of business. They don't exist. Ah, nice. Closed. Gone. Yeah. Uh, well, who signed this? Well, Bob Smith. Who's Bob Smith? <laughs> don't know. Don't, don't know who Bob Smith is. Yeah, can I, no one. Can I go now? Because yeah. you, got, you got nothing. <laughs> Yeah, you you got nothing. You don't you don't know that I owned Barry and Stan, and as soon as I got the money, I had it closed down, and you're not going to find anything. So fuck you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So impossible to trace, and uh, that's uh, how it's done. Now, uh, for example, um, in May of 2004, so there was a in in the case of the Troika laundromat. Mm-hmm. There was a Lithuanian bank called Yukio that was deeply involved in all of this, handled a lot of, most of the transactions. <laughs> right. Now, in May of 2004, Yukio transferred $204,000 to an account in Latvia to pay for auto spare parts. Okay. The money came from Industrial Trade Corp, which had been incorporated a year earlier in Panama. Right. Now... There was no connection to the car industry from either of these uh, companies. Over the next six years, Industrial Trade Corp went on to trade in everything from food industry equipment to computers and building materials, Mm -hmm. loans, share deals. Industrial Trade Corp was moving hundreds of millions of dollars over a couple of years into the laundromat. Um, when investigators started trying to track down the paper trail, it yeah. just stopped. There was nothing. Yeah, no, 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 no one knows who owned Industrial Trade Corp, where its money was coming from. <laughs> just gone. Boom. Yeah. Poof. It's like, uh, 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 what's that? Who's the guy in the movie who disappears? Uh, the greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. What's his name? <laughs> Kevin Spacey's name in there. Um, Kaiser Sose. Right. They're like Kaiser Sose. As soon as you go looking for him, gone. And, and he's gone. Um, as someone, as yeah. someone said, corruption in Russia is not a glitch in the Matrix. Corruption is the Matrix. <laughs> nice. And as soon as things die down, you set up some more shell companies and you start all over again. And because they're brand new... The 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 uh, authorities are going to have no idea where to look, and that's the mm. beauty of a couple hundred bucks. You're all set up and ready to go again. Mm. Damn. So when uh, the German journalists working for SZ started to dig into the leaks, they tried to contact Mosfond for comment. Right. In- instead of talking to Mosfond, <laughs> they were contacted by Burson Marstella. Mm-hmm. Uh, the PR slash crisis control firm based in New York. They said, oh, hi. Um, you wanted to speak to our clients. Yeah. We represent uh, them. You you can talk to us now. Right. Um, 
By the way, uh, Burson Marcello, as of 2018, are known as Burson Conan Wolf. Now, Burson Marcello are well known as being spin doctors, crisis control firms. Uh, they've worked for pretty much every evil industry corporation Darth you can Vader, think of. Right? Yeah. yeah. First, first person Darth Vader turned to <laughs> when. Uh, the rebels were accusing him of being a Sith Lord was Burson Master. They're like, no, look, you've got it all wrong. He likes black. Under that, yeah, under that helmet, he's just a white guy, yeah. like all of you. He's just another happy-go-lucky, rich white guy. Yeah, yeah. But this company does know how to pull a solo, and they do know how to play hard when it when it comes to it. And I guess you you would have to be able to do that if you're going to prop up or support or defend some some people or entities that are not very nice. I like, listen, the BM was saying to the SZ journalists, look, there's nothing inherently illegal with setting up shell companies. Yeah. That's just, Moss Fon are just providing a service. Right. Listen, if some of those people are using those companies for illegal, nefarious Ooh. purposes, right. that's not our client's problem. Yeah. They they just sell the gun. If you take the gun and shoot someone <laughs> with right. it, it's on you. You can't blame yeah. them no. for selling the gun. Although what Burson Marcella didn't know is that what the journalists knew was that in Mosfon's case this wasn't actually true. They were way more of a, they were actually pulling the trigger. Uh they yeah. were aiming the rifle <laughs> and pulling the trigger on lots of occasions. Um, they were very well aware of what they were doing, um, and because uh, and the journalists knew that because they had the internal emails to prove it. Jeez, I, I do want to just say, just to give people context, um, this company, as far as we know, or uh, allegedly, but I don't think it's been one hundred percent proved, um, worked for the Indonesian military regime after the massacre in East Timor, where like two hundred and fifty East Timorese pro-independence demonstrators were shot and killed in nineteen ninety one. Supposedly, this company comes along and helps them, to, you know, craft a message, trying to spin their way out of what was obviously a horrific thing. But that's that's their job. That's what they do. They bury and stand the fuck out of it. Oh yeah, like they they've worked for dictators. They've worked for the tobacco industry, the fossil fuel industry. <laughs> they're at they're at the core God. of uh, uh, the bullshit field. Basically, this bullshit field of series <laughs> could just be talking about, about Burston Mustella, right. Burston Mustella, and their clients. Oh my God! Um, and we'd be keeping ourselves busy. Getting back to analogies. Yeah. Yeah. Um, as one investigator put it, shell companies are to criminals what getaway vehicles are to bank robbers. <laughs> they allow criminals to escape. Now, selling cars right? isn't a crime. Right. But selling getaway cars right. might be a crime. If you're, if you're advertising your cars as the best car to use to get away from a crime scene, yeah. you're actually complicit. In yeah. the crime itself. And that's basically what companies like Mosfon were doing. They were openly uh, saying, yeah, yeah, we can we can help you hide that transaction. Right. We can help you hide that activity. No problem. Just come to us. And, and one of the emails bragged about that's mostly what we do is 
whatever words they use for tax evasion. But just to add on to that, it's like if you're going to start a business and you come up to me and I have a building, an office space, and you buy it for me, that's a physical entity. I'm, I'm assuming you're going to go in there, set up a business or whatever. But what Mosfam is doing is, look, we're going to do some paperwork. We're going to create on paper, a company and a name, and I guess we can do a P.O. box or whatever, but there's no real company, there's no staff, like you were saying. It's just a vehicle for you to move money around. Now, obviously, you'll set up an account connected to that, to that company so you can do your thing, but that's it. So they they know exactly what they're doing. So for them to deny it is complete bullshit, but that that's why you hire a professional company like this to do the lying for you because that's their job. When you're selling an offshore shell company and saying, oh, listen, we will set this up to help you evade tax. What? Um, yeah, then you're, you're complicit yeah. in breaking the law. Yeah. So another company that got early coverage in the Panama Papers uh, media was a German bank called Commerce Bank, the second wow. largest German bank. Wow. It was revealed through another leak that for more than a decade, Commerce Bank had been directly involved in laundering hundreds of billions <laughs> of dollars right. out of places like Iran, Sudan, and Myanmar, uh, a.k.a. Burma, against U.S. sanctions. Right. Um, now, this is a fascinating story on several levels. Um, number one... You know, classic example here that very, very large businesses uh, commit massive crimes if they think they can get away with it. Right. Because they usually do. Yeah. So there are sanctions against these countries. Uh, Western organisations aren't supposed to be trading with them. Commerce Bank was like, fuck that, we're going to do it anyway. <clears throat> they were laundering hundreds of billions of dollars. Now, uh, they got caught out and they paid a $1.45 billion fine. Slap on the wrist, though. This is basically a year's income for the bank. Right. And they fired a single employee as part of a deal with the U.S. He was the one doing it, though. So all good now. Right? Uh, Well, A, it was a she, She? not a he. Okay. Um, Yeah. And she led the bank's anti-money laundering and fraud (laughs) compliance team in New York. Um, So it was her job to pick up fraud, you know, money laundering activities. And um, they go, well, you didn't pick it up. She goes, but I'm not the one doing the money laundering. Right. Surely the people doing the money laundering are the people that should be getting fired and going to jail. I'm like, no, no, well, no. That, that Their job was to try and get away with it. <laughs> your your job. job was to stop them from getting away with it. You failed, and so you, we're firing you. And you only had one job, and that was it, and you failed. <laughs> yeah, so so the cops and the uh, the tax invet- uh, investigators, the public prosecutors, they pull up to uh, Commerce Bank in uh, Frankfurt. They pull up there on February 24th, 2015. Now, right before this happens, the reporters who are working on this and who are getting the leaks, they get an they get an inside tip of what's about to go on. So sure enough, they go through the leaks and they find that this bank, like you were saying, it was was doing billions of dollars. But one of the people that was helping them 
on a regular basis was Mossfawn. So again, this company, anyone, if anybody is doing anything like this, they're probably getting their beak wet somewhere along the way. And like you said in the last episode, they were the fourth largest shell company producer um, either in the world or, or just in this field. So they're deep into this, but for whatever reason, everybody else is getting busted. But for right now, nothing's happening to them. Now, don't feel bad for this woman that got fired. She's now a partner and director of compliance at the Mizen Group in New York. Uh, Can you guess what the Mizen Group does? Um, Shell companies? I don't know. (laughs) No, they sell anti-money laundering consulting services. Oh. The woman who got fired from not picking up anti-money laundering. Right is now selling anti-money laundering consulting services. Uh, I trust her. The the bio on her website and on LinkedIn, uh, surprisingly, doesn't mention that she got fired from Commerce Bank uh, for failing to pick up money laundering inside Commerce Bank. Oh, my God. I, I, just, I just want to mention one thing before we go on. When you were talking about the Burston Marsteller uh company that, you know, crisis management, I thought for sure you were going to add on the part because I know you would love something like this, that when the woman was talking to the two reporters and they were able to dig through the emails of uh, Mossfam, they found that back in early 2013, she offered, because this is her job, she offered to create and produce and give to them, to the law firm, a crisis handbook so they would be able to handle anything that was supposedly that would come along any kind of emergencies or accusations or whatever. Now, because it's a crisis handbook and it's beyond their normal services, there would be a huge price tag to pay to do this. But the good news is they would have 24-hour service. They Mossfam would be able to pick up a phone anytime, day or night, and call someone from this company and get help, get advice, whatever. So this company had its, I guess, its normal package and then its premium package where we will literally try to help you get out of anything if you're willing to pay us enough. I guess in order to work there, you pretty much have to check your soul at the door and then go sit at your desk. But what do I know? Mm. I don't know. It's the psychopath economy, my friend. There you go. There you go. Now, nobody went to jail, as far as I know, over the uh, hundreds of billions of dollars of money laundering that went through Commerce Bank. And mind you, this was the second fraud case against Commerce Bank in a few years. A couple of years earlier... They had been found guilty of working with a Japanese electronics company, Olympus. Right. Pretty sure I had a um, yeah. portable micro cassette recorder made by Olympus in the early 90s. I remember right. it was the fucking bomb, man. <laughs> like today, if I'm in my car and I think of something I have to do, I go, hey, Siri, right. create a note for Evernote. Uh, or, or, hey, Siri, remind me that blah, 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 yeah. blah, blah. 30 years ago, I would pull my little <laughs> micro cassette recorder out of my jacket pocket out. wherever right. I was, walking down the street in the car, and would hit the record button and go, Remind myself to masturbate later right. tonight. Check. I forget. And then you had to go back and listen to the tape. And of yes. course, you never did that. But, <laughs> but you know. Except and, years oh, later. man, I th- yeah, thought that was the cutting edge. The oh. cutting edge of technology was having a little portable recorder <laughs> that I could uh. jot down ideas. Still doing the same thing today, just a little bit with a little bit better technology. Right. Today, yeah. when I record, when I, when I record a note, 
um, on Evernote, it goes straight to Evernote, and I come home and it's boom. boom. It's I open up my right laptop there. and Evernote says, "Hey, here's a message for you." And I'm like, "Oh yeah, that's right." What's me? Anyway, to masturbate. Yeah. Um, so that's yeah. a lib- so no, hey, so that a couple of years earlier they were found guilty. This is Commerce Bank of oh, working right. with Olympus to perpetrate a massive accounting fraud <laughs> designed to conceal hundreds of millions of dollars of losses oh. uh, from Olympus's auditors and investors. Oh. So Commerce Bank is just taking hit after hit after hit. No one goes to jail. Everyone's fine. Oh, yeah. It's all good. Pay us Nothing to fine. see here. Yeah. Pay a slap on the wrist. Do Business as usual. Right. You so, factor, yeah. you end up, you know, they factor get the fine. Look, okay, we're going to commit a lot of crimes. <laughs> One in every ten are going to get caught. Right. We're going to we're going to have to pay lawyers. We're going to pay a fine. So we just factor that into our profits, right? Yep. It's like. Venture capitalists who invest in startups and they know that one in ten will succeed, that one will pay for all of their losses. Ah. It's the same mindset with these businesses. You know, we're going to commit a lot of crimes, going to make a lot of money. One in ten will get found out. Um, we're going to have to be, we're going to find, but we'll cover it we're with good. the rest of us. So don't worry about we're it. Good. No one's going to go to jail. We've got lawyers for that kind of shit. Don't right. worry about it. Move on. Profits are going up, up, and up. And, and just, it's organised crime. Yeah, it is organised exactly. crime. That's. Corporations of essentially organized crime on a massive scale, exactly. And when they get caught out, it's on you know, it's a small column on page four of the business section of the newspaper. So and so got fined, nothing to see here, move along. (laughs) Oh, but shit, what did Vladimir Putin do this week? Right. So instead of too big to fail, too big to find guilty. Yeah, I guess yeah. I don't know. Jeez, no. But I thought, as an as an American who doesn't get all this stuff, I thought this was interesting. So, sticking with Commerce Bank for a second, this is how it works. So, because this is a German bank, when they when they're doing their transactions, there's a German tax and an EU savings tax tax directive, which orders all Luxembourg and Swiss banks to deduct thirty five percent, just a flat thirty five percent off of all gains of unregistered accounts. So if the, if the account belongs to an EU citizen and they make some gains, boom, 35% is coming off because you know it's going to taxes. That's just the price of living in Europe and all the wonderful social services that you have that we don't have in America. But because Commerce Bank set up shell companies in Panama, which of course is not you know EU citizens, so that flat rate of 35% of hundreds of millions of dollars is not collected. So, you know, basic tax, tax evasion. And that was going on through 2015. So just to give you an idea, we're not just talking about a little money here. Just the money that the governments aren't getting, like you were saying earlier, to help people to take care of services, build roads, hospitals, schools, whatever. This is a lot of money that could go towards that, that is purposefully being hidden so the government cannot find it and get their cut. Yeah. It's sad. Sad commentary. Now, what's interesting about this Commerce Bank story from a PR perspective Mm -hmm. is the lies the Commerce Bank told the SZ journalists. Um, When SZ journalists started contacting them about uh, some of the stuff that was in the Mosfond database, you know, quietly... Right. uh, They're like, hey, um, listen, (laughs) we we, apparently... (gasps) You used to launder some of this stuff through shell companies. Commerce Bank's immediate response to them was, 
Oh, well, look, yeah, we made some mistakes, but it's all in the past. Yeah. We cleaned cleaned up our act years ago. This is the this is the standard corporate response to these things. <laughs> right. As first, no, we never did it. Yeah, we, you did do it. We have evidence. Well, yeah, we did do it. The previous. But yeah. that was many years ago, yeah. previous administration. Right. We've cleaned up our act. We we have policies and procedures now in place. It's all, that's all in the past. Yeah. Like, look yeah. to the future. What's wrong with you? Stop thinking about the past. <laughs> look, 50 years ago, we were all Nazis. We, you know, look at us we, now. We don't talk about... No. Yeah, look at us now. Yeah. Like we've, it's progress. <laughs> <laughs> it's progress. Trying, Come on. What's wrong with you? Yeah. Um, now, uh, what, what they didn't know, the Commerce Bank PR people, is that the journalists had access to the Mosfond database and saw that, Ooh. you know, that it, it was still going on. Yes. Long after the bank claimed that they had stopped, which, oh. so here's one of the key points I want people to understand about all of this. This is why whistleblowers are important. Yes. And why we need to protect whistleblowers and the people who publish the secrets leaked by whistleblowers. This is vitally important to yeah. the health of our democracies. We need to protect Julian Assange and Edward Snowden and Chelsea Manning and all the others I could rattle off. Mm-hmm. Um, this is because companies lie, governments lie, psychopaths lie over and over and over again. And when they get caught out lying, they lie about that. <laughs> they, they, they will lie they have and to. lie. They, right. And they spend hundreds of millions of dollars in slush funds to bribe people to hide their lies and distract and yeah. deflect from their lies. The only way we can ever find out about it is fire whistleblowers. Right. Investigators are hampered because it's all hidden under these levels of in, insane complexity. Yes. We have to protect whistleblowers. And, yes, what the whistleblowers are leaking is going to be secrets, government secrets, military yeah. secrets, corporate secrets. That's, of course, it's secret. If it wasn't secret, <laughs> whistleblowers wouldn't need to leak it. They wouldn't need to blow. You know, people... I have these conversations with these morons all the time on Facebook. They're like, oh, I don't know, Julian Assange shouldn't be, you know, divulging secrets. Of course he should. That's exact. That's what it's needs to be shit. divulged is secrets. Right. That's the job of journalists should be to publish things that companies and governments want to keep secret. Right. And, and another, That's their job. Right. And another example of, of that is if this person, John Doe, hadn't come forward and sent 11.5 billion documents to these journals, journalists in Germany, we still today wouldn't know about it. It would still be going on. And these people making tons of money and these corporations or gangsters or drug lords or, or dictators or whatever or, or would still be hiding their money and, and stuff we'll go into later. But the point is, it would still be going. Hell, it is still going on today. It's just Moscow. Yeah. is not doing it. But the point is, yeah, if they would still be up and running and everything would be going along fine if it wasn't for someone stepping up and having the courage and, like you said, risking their life to send out the information. Yeah, it is. I mean, the bad news is it is still going on. We'll, in our last episode, we'll talk about what happened after, yeah. like the fallout from Mosfon. Yeah. Leaks and it's not much, sadly. Right. Um, but relatively um, speaking, a little bit. Yeah, 
Yeah, but not much. If not I much. if I could, I know we're running out of time, but I just want to do this real quick because, again, uh, as an American, I didn't know this about Germany. So when when Commerce Bank is raided, the reason the the uh, prosecutioners and the tax specialists or whatever were able to come in is because the German police bought this information. They bought these leaks from somebody. They, they didn't, you know, it wasn't given to them like the German reporters. So someone uh, sold some information to the German police uh, for like a million dollars, a million pounds, a mil- million dollars a euro. Um, uh, so the point is the German police would buy this stuff and then they would use this information, investigate it. And then you go out, arrest, I'm not arrest, but you go out and you punish the bank, you find them. And of course, like you said, they, they just go on with it. But here's a name that I'd never heard of. But the person who receives this information who, after it was purchased, was Peter Beckoff. He's the head of the Wuppertal Finance Office for Tax Crime and Tax Investigations. So he gets uh, an idea that there's information to buy. He gets his minister or his government to cough up the money. He gets the information. He goes after the wrongdoers. And so, but here's the thing. Because of this, he, he only finds out, I think, about a couple of hundred shell companies from Mossfarm when these reporters now have thousands, if not tens of thousands of, of shell companies that they know. So even though the, the government is doing the best it can, buying this information from someone who's willing to risk their life, even they are only scratching the surface of what these reporters know. And it's been given to them for free, probably from a concerned person. So, um, where to from there? Well, it wasn't just Commerce Bank that turned up in the Mosfon database. Right. Um, Deutsche Bank, thousands of hits. Dresdner Bank, same result. Lots of regional banks throughout Germany and the rest of Europe getting thousands of hit hits each. Now, not all of these involve tax avoidance or fraud or corruption, mm-hmm. but a lot of them did. Even right. state-owned banks... Yes. We're helping clients to cheat the state out of taxation. I mean, you really Jeez. have to admire their chutzpah. Now, <laughs> but here's, yeah, well, I guess, but here's my point, and this is what my book's about. Right. The, the problem here is psychopaths. Oh. Psychopaths running, uh, psychopaths end up running, can end up running every kind of organisation or institution, yeah. and psychopaths will do psychopathic things. Um, that's just their nature. It's the scorpion right. and the frog, right? You, yeah. you can't blame psychopaths for doing psychopathic things. And so uh, that's it's what that's the heart of all of this, I think. Um, it's just psychopaths in positions of power. Anyway, um, let's get on and uh, skip ahead and talk about, uh, I don't know, Rami Makhlouf. Rami okay. Makhlouf turned up. We mentioned Rami Makhlouf back in our very first Bullshit Filter miniseries uh, on the Syrian Civil War. Rami Makhlouf, uh, of course, played um, Freddie Mercury in in the most recent Queen film. I knew that. Um, You know, and he's Mr. Robot in Mr. Robot. Very good TV show. (laughs) Um, Ah, that's the other Rami guy. Now, this is Rami Makhlouf. He's Bashar al-Assad's cousin. Yes. One of the richest men in Syria owns, among other things, uh, Syriatel, their biggest telephone company. Mm -hmm. Uh, He turned up in lots of the Panama Papers. He'd been using shell companies to secretly funnel money out of the country and 
avoid U.S. sanctions that have been placed on Syria. Wow. When a Swiss newspaper that was working with um, the Panama Papers asked Mosfon if they did business with Rami Makhlouf, they denied it. No! <laughs> He's, uh, are you kidding me? He's a Syrian uh, yeah. businessman under sanctions. No! We would never talk. do that. Right. Um, and if we do do it, we don't know that we do it. Right. Because um, of the show company. Unfortunately, yeah. for Mosfon, um, inside of their leaked emails, they'd even had internal meetings talking about, mm, should we be doing business with Rami Makhlouf? You know, he's under US sanctions. Uh, and internally they decided, well, look, HSBC, the British banker, still dealing with him. Yeah. Because no we know because we're moving we're moving money to the, his right. HSBC bank accounts. So they're okay with it. If they're okay with it, we should be okay with it. He's been a good client since 1998. Don't worry about it. But okay. again, publicly, publicly, they furiously rejected the suggestion that he was a client. This is actually one of their responses to the journalists. Who could believe that Mossack Fonseca would willfully, deliberately, or even accidentally tarnish a reputation carefully built up over 37 years by aiding criminals, dictators, or money launderers for a few hundred dollars in annual fees, they wrote in caps. That was how furious. I am shocked. Shocked to see gambling going on in this establishment. Oh, the balls on these people. The brass, steel, whatever you want to call it, balls on these people. Yeah. Oh. That's what Psychopaths, you do. That's what right? You do, baby. Psychopaths. Yeah. Um, now, uh, when SZ, the newspaper, uh, uh, started reaching out to Mosfon in 2015, saying, listen, just, you know, not for nothing, but <laughs> out of the blue, yeah. just wondering, uh, do you do business with people that are on sanctions lists? <sighs> And Mosfon's response was, absolutely not. We would never, ever, under any circumstances, even if you held a gun to our heads, do business with people on sanctions lists. So right. the journalists got hold of the UN, EU and US sanctions lists, basically a who's who list of dictators and terrorists. Right. Um, and looked up those names in the data, and pretty much they were all—all all of them yeah. were in the data. Yeah. Pretty much, you were guaranteed oh, that if you were on a sanctions list, you right. turned up in Mosfon's database. What? African dictators, Central American drug barons, convicted sex offenders—all of them with offshore companies. It's all good. Hey, their money is as green as everybody else's, so don't judge. Yeah. Um, let's uh, keep going. I know we're running over time, but let's keep going. I want to talk about one of the people who turned up on uh, the in the database was the former Prime Minister of the Ukraine, Pavlo Lazarenko. Uh-huh. Now, old Pav, the Pav, the Pavster, um, he... Uh, has been accused of stealing hundreds of millions of dollars from the Ukraine in a single year, yes. 1996 he, to 1997. The Pav don't play. 
the Pav don't play. <laughs> <laughs> In a single year. Yeah. Yeah. Now, uh, not only were they doing business with him, Mosfon, uh, the journalists found even a fax from him with his signature on it. Um, and underneath it, he wrote, in case you can't read my signature, I'm Pavlo Lazarenko, the uh, former PM of the Ukraine who allegedly stole hundreds of millions of dollars from the Ukraine and is what is wanted yeah. for that uh, around the world. Just Thank to be very, know. very clear that that's yeah, who I am in me. case there's any confusion. Smiley face. Uh, yeah. Now, he was arrested um, a couple of years after he embezzled all of this money, allegedly. Right. He was arrested in Switzerland travelling on a Panamanian passport. How? Um, why a Ukrainian <laughs> prime minister had a Panamanian passport? Not sure. He sought asylum in the United States because that's what you do when you're a, a rich <laughs> criminal. Exactly. Um, but it was instead arrested for money laundering. Right. Now, the US have been trying to get their hands on his money ever since. Now, if you're wondering why the U.S. would do this, mm-hmm. um, you have to understand that the U.S. have been trying to push the Ukraine into NATO for the oh, last 20 years. Right. And so returning money back to the people of the Ukraine go. is going to okay. help you push the yeah. Ukraine into NATO. Yeah. Well, he only took like Why? $200 million. I, I mean, it's kind of overreaction, but okay. That's fine. <laughs> it's only $200 in, million. in one year. In one year. Yeah, yeah. Fuck. Now, uh, I said they've been trying to get their hands on their money ever since. Uh, so nearly 20 years they've been trying to get, this, get at this money and they haven't been able to. Haven't yeah. been able to get at this money. It's hidden through a network Damn. of shell companies and in bank accounts in Switzerland and places like that. That's how hard it is. Even when they arrest the motherfucker yeah. and, uh, you know, try to get the money back, they can't do it. Now, um, they the journalists then started doing some digging on the founders of Mossack Fonseca, and this is a great story. Mm-hmm. So one of the founders, Jürgen Mossack, uh, his father, as it turns out, was a Nazi. Right. He was straight uh, up SS. Yes. Yeah, Hitler straight Youth. up SS. Hitler Youth, Hitler Youth before yeah. that, yeah, went straight into the SS, was promoted to Rottenfuhrer in September right. of 1944, which is basically a corporal. Uh, turns out after the war, he tried to change his identity, went on the lam for a while, ended up getting arrested by the US, mm-hmm. and it seems ended up working for them as an informant. <laughs> At least he turns up in CIA uh, stuff released under the Freedom of Information as offering to work for them as an informant. Basically, he offered to uh, sort of uh, uh, give them information on communist activities in Cuba, I think, after sort of the 60s, in the early 60s. I think he, I think um, yeah. he was just reading the. Uh, I think he just wet his fingers, stick it up in the air. Hey, what would make the Americans happy? Oh, there, the Cold War is going on. Let me offer my services to go spy on the communists. How, how could they not get hard? Um, that, but it kind of hurts your um, your reputation or your job uh, opportunity when you're a former Nazi and a former member of the SS. Come on, let's be honest. But he did okay. He yeah. um, ended up. I mean, well, he, he was uh, let go by the Americans. Mm-hmm. Ended up. 
marrying another former Nazi. Um, they had some little Nazi kids oh, and moved to Panama um, and lived happily as Nazis in Panama uh, ever since. And uh, that's where Jürgen Mossack was 13 when his family moved to Panama around 1961 from somewhere else in Latin America, I think they were first. Now, this is similar to the story of Klaus Barbie, the so-called butcher of Lyon, Mm -hmm. who lived in Latin America under the pseudonym of Klaus Altman for decades. Um, We know that after the war, the US intelligence services employed him as a anti-communist... Informer uh-huh. helped him escape to Bolivia, um, and he worked for them. Uh, right. He he also later worked for West German intelligence services. Um, it was, is suspected of having had a hand in the Bolivian coup d'état that was orchestrated by Metza in right. 1980, and then after the fall of that dictatorship, Barbie no longer had the protection of a government, was uh, extradited to France in 1983, was convicted of crimes against humanity, died in prison in 1991, but had been protected by US mm-hmm. intelligence services uh, for decades. Yeah. And so the suggestion is that uh, there's no there's no strong, hard evidence that Jürgen Mossack's father was on the CIA payroll, but the suggestions that he was uh, yeah. in dialogue with them and useful to them for a long time. Um, so that's how the uh, Nazis ended up in Panama originally. Right. Yeah, because I find it a little interesting that a Nazi and SS is able to go to Panama. And as we said on the very first show, America has a lot of influence in Panama and had influence for decades at they they would have let someone in that we might not have wanted. I mean, why would we be nice to Nazis? That uh, that certainly could lend you to think that maybe the CIA had a hand in it. So that that's just kind of uh, one of those weird coincidences. Just just to get the story a little bit started on Jurgen, one of the partners of Mossack, when his father takes the family to Panama, he attends the Santa Maria. Uh, Antigua uh, University. He works part-time at a law firm as a paralegal. He eventually sits for his law exams. And in 1973, he becomes a lawyer, works in London for two years, returns to Panama in 1977, and sets up his own law firm. So for him, you know, maybe he's able to be one generation removed away from the Nazi thing, and life is looking pretty good for young Jürgen in 1977. Yeah. Now, the other partner in the firm is another lawyer, Ramon Fonseca. At mm-hmm. the time that the leaks came out, he was not only one of the Panamanian president's closest advisors, <laughs> but also he was the deputy leader of the <gasps> governing political party. Right. Uh, Good guy. Now, the, the president at the time was Juan Carlos Varela, uh, yeah, mm-hmm. well, Fonseca was very tight with the government. Now, he got his big right. break as a lawyer before he and Mossack joined forces. He got his big break as a lawyer by having Adnan Khashoggi, the infamous Saudi arms dealer, one of the richest men in the world, as a client in the 70s. Wow. He was um, hiding all of Khashoggi's money via Panamanian shell companies. Uh, in the mid-70s... U.S. congressional hearings exposed 
Khashoggi's involvement in a massive global corporate bribery scheme orchestrated by the defence contractor Northrop, oh God. which had poured tens of millions of dollars into various officials' bank accounts to um, bribe them to sell weapons. Northrop is an American mm-hmm. arms manufacturer, basically. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that was exposed. Uh, I don't think anyone from Northrop ever did any prison time for bribery yeah, and corruption. I doubt it. Um, yeah. I think everyone said, oh, okay, slap on the wrist, sure, no problem. Yeah. Um, and that was that. So anyway, uh, that's where that's how Fonseca made his name. Then he and he and Mossack eventually met. Um, Northrop, by the way, had paid Khashoggi one hundred and six million dollars to be a consultant between nineteen seventy and nineteen seventy five, and that's back when one hundred and six million dollars was a lot of money, <laughs> right? Um, when it was something. Oh, we're in the wrong fucking business, my friend. I'm, I'm just. Khashoggi, Khashoggi had been using that money to bribe Saudi generals to buy Northrop weapons and all this kind of stuff. Oh, God. So, so that's the two guys at the head of this firm. One's the son of a Nazi uh, <laughs> corporal and who was hidden in Panama by the CIA. And uh, the other uh, used to was the lawyer for Adnan Khashoggi, uh, arms dealer who right. to used to be, take bribes from American weapons manufacturers to bribe right. Saudi military figures. Um, oh. So they and then they formed up in the seventies and got together and just it was like you and me. It was love at first sight. Yeah, um, I think they love. did a weekend in Vegas and it was sealed <laughs> in blood. Uh, <laughs> and bodily Hang fluids. Right. right, right. Oh, uh, well, let's uh, let's wrap that episode up there. Um, in the next episode, we will sort of wrap up the series by talking about sort of, I guess, the fallout of the Panama Papers as it has been, and um, yeah. Leave it there. Yeah. So, and, and and then we'll also talk a little bit about the the Paradise Papers that came out a year later. That'll be next week.